Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday, almost to the Christmas holiday. Hope everyone who is celebrating Christmas is getting ready for that. This is going to be my second to last podcast before we get to Christmas. Just for heads up for everybody, just so you know, I'll have Wednesday. Talk about a few movies to celebrate the, the holiday for families that are staying in celebrating the, the the festivities of Christmas. But before we even get to tomorrow, there's some things that I want to talk about today, some news that I want to knock out to talk about that I think some people will find interesting. I'm going to talk about trending trailers. I haven't really grouped trending trailers and said that in a while. We've had a one or two pop up, but today there were a bunch that came out that I want to talk about. I'm also going to be getting into Patty Jenkins, potentially not directing a Wonder Woman 3. She talked about something along those lines in a New York Times article that was recently published. And I'm also going to be talking about Ray Fisher and getting into what actually potentially happened or one of the things that led to some incidents happening on the Justice League reshoots when Josh Whedon took over for Zack Snyder. So I'm going to get into all that in just a little bit. But the first thing that I do want to start out on is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And even with just the new year around the corner and with The Mandalorian Season 2 just ending, people are probably starting to wonder, well, what else can I watch on Disney Plus? And while Soul is coming out in the next few days, if people are looking for something big and something to really kind of talk about within the Star Wars or Marvel properties, WandaVision is set to come out on January 15th and what is going to be a big year for Marvel Studios after kind of having a lull period in 2020 after everything happening with the pandemic. They had to move all their Disney Plus shows, all their films to the new year. But in 2021, Marvel is really going to come back with a huge force. And really, one of the big reasons for that is going to be their television properties that they're going to be putting out on Disney Plus, ushering in a brand new era of Marvel television. And over the last week or so with the Disney Investor Day that happened, we got a lot of details on brand new projects that we didn't hear of and more details on some projects that we heard previously in the last year or so. And one of those was the brand new television show She-Hulk, which is going to be introducing another version of the Hulk into the MCU. And one of the things that these Disney Plus properties in Marvel are going to be doing is really thinking outside the box. And we're going to see that right away with WandaVision kind of mixing in this love and homage to sitcoms and combining it with, excuse me, what we know to be the MCU. And so they're kind of really taking risks with these television shows, kind of like how they did take risks with the movies initially when we had something like Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor Ragnarok ant-man we're pushing those boundaries going from the movies which will still get boundary pushing in those terms but we're going to be really thinking outside the box with these marvel cinematic television shows and one of the things that was interesting was when kevin feige was talking about she-hulk and there was different ways that you could kind of go about doing she-hulk and it sounds like they're doing once again what they're doing with wandavision and thinking completely outside the box and according to kevin feige she-hulk is going to be a half hour legal comedy 
set within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So again, kind of deviating away from what we've known to be the the standard for Marvel and doing something a little bit different. And when you look at kind of the the team that they have established for this, it makes a whole lot of sense. The head writer that they brought on for She-Hulk was one of the main writers for the third season of the hit animated show Rick and Morty, which is this outlandish comedy show, which I don't think She-Hulk is going to get that outlandish. But if you bring somebody in that can do some sense of humor and you bring in directors like Kate Cairo, who has a history of directing television shows like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, then you kind of establish something of being able to say you have a a team that has a sense of consistency of bringing what you want to these TV shows. And I think, again, thinking outside the box and bringing in these different voices is something new and fresh. And what makes the MCU and Marvel Studios so special is they allow different creative voices to come in and make the, the projects the way they want to make it, while also, again, keeping it in the consistency of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because even though this will be introducing a brand new character and being more of a comedic sense, you're going to still bring back Mark Ruffalo in a supporting role as the Hulk. You're bringing back Tim Roth as the Abomination, who hasn't been seen since 2008. So you're bringing in levels of connectivity to the MCU while delivering something new and fresh at the same exact time. So I think this is really exciting and when you kind of mix in comedy and legal especially in the terms of, of, of television, those two never really have been done before or not really to my recollection. There's always comedy and you always kind of have these law and orders that are more dramatic in the sense. They're one hour or 45 minute dramedies or not dramedies, but, but dramatic turns. So I think to combine these two together is very, very interesting. And I think they got the right team to pull this all off. I think they got Tatiana Maslany, who is is the star from Orphan in Black. To be in this role is going to be very, very, very exciting. I think uh, another great thing about it is the fact that you're kind of changing up the run times a little bit. Because one of the things about Mandalorian that people have been, I guess, really complaining about for both seasons is the the run times, which they're, they vary completely different. Some of them are 50 minutes, most of them range in the 40 minute area, and some of them are about 35 to 30 minutes. So you, you get a level of inconsistency with the run time. With this, it sounds like it's going to be a straight up half hour, not sitcom, but comedy. So you can expect 30 minute intervals with this television show. And I think that it's that's exciting. And I think it's going to get people to really lean towards this television show and what they want to do with it. So I'm really excited to see what they do. And again, I think the fact that you can bring in cameo appearances in this universe with other Marvel characters, maybe we get Matthew Murdock as Daredevil in this, given to what Kevin Feige pointed to when presenting this unveiling of this show. So I think you can play around with this a little bit. I think Kevin Feige knows that. And again, with these Disney Plus shows, thinking outside the box, this is the perfect way to go with it. So I'm excited to see what they do with She 
She-Hulk in the next year or so. I'm pretty sure if I had a guess, this is something that I'll probably start filming sometime next year and we'll get it sometime in 2022. So what do you guys think about the news that the She-Hulk show could potentially be set to be a half hour comedy? According to Kevin Feige, let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now I want to move on to the trending trailers segment, which again, I haven't called the trending trailers in a long, long time because of the pandemic and we haven't really gotten a whole slate of trailers in one day. And today we were really kind of treated to three trailers in a row, two for some high profile films that are set to start off the brand new year. But I'm going to leave the last two, which are the big two for the end. I'm going to start out with the indie film that is set to debut at Sundance this year virtually. And I'm really excited about this one. It's directed by Robin Wright in her directorial debut, and it stars her as well in the film Land. It's being produced by Focus Feature, and it also stars Damien Bashir. and it's about a local hunter who is played by Bashir, and he helps a grieving lawyer back from and bring her back from the brink of death after she retreats to the harsh wilderness of the Rockies. So this... This in, this film looks interesting. When I was watching the trailer at first, I wasn't really sure what to make of it. But halfway through, I kind of got a sense of where this film is going and the kind of character that Robin Wright is, is set to play, which is this very reclusive person who's trying to shut out the rest of society and kind of live off the land on her own. And, and just by unexpected forces, she meets this, this hunter who helps her out. And I like the chemistry between the two of them. And the direction looks great. I mean, the, the visuals look gorgeous from the cinematography and, and the actual style and the direction and the, and the character beats that we get in this. It seems really interesting. And Robin Wright, if anything else, is a tremendous actress that is never to be put in question. And now she is another performer who is looking to take the next step in being behind the camera. And if anyone can really kind of do that and translate at this age in their careers, it's somebody like a Robin Wright who has experience in front of the camera for doing this business for many, many, many years. And so she has a sense of being with incredible directors like Robert Zemeckis or even with David Fincher in House of Cards. She knows what it takes and probably the what the skill set that it takes to do this kind of film. And you always want to start out small, especially if you're a performer wanting to take a big jump. You saw people like Clint Eastwood's done that, Ben Affleck has done that, and you see the evolution that they've taken as directors. So for Robin Wright to take an indie film as her first gig, that's the best way to go. And I'm hoping that maybe, just maybe, as we've seen with films like Promising Young Woman, Minari for this award season, maybe something like a land, if it looks as good as the trailer has come across for us, maybe it could be in contention for next award season and could really kind of push Robin Wright to another level of being amongst the Ben Affleck's one day, but it starts out as a great turn for her potentially with this film Land, which is set to come out in February of next year and debut at the Sundance Film Festival first. So I'm excited to hear what people think about this. The trailer was a great first impression, and I hope we get some good reviews coming out in the next month for this film. And the next one, which is set to be one of the probably the most anticipated films of January, given the sense that there's really not a whole lot coming out in that month as it continues a trend that has happened over the years, and that is The Little Things. And it's set to be directed by John Lee Hancock and stars a 
great big three of Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto, all three Academy Award winning actors. And this is going to get more notification, I think not just because of the film, which it has some great talent behind the camera, in front of the camera, as I just said, but it's also going to be the second film to debut in the hybrid format of theaters and HBO Max after Wonder Woman does it this upcoming Christmas day. So I think that's going to be the thing that gets it the most attention. But watching this trailer, I think it's the film itself that deserves a lot of the attention as this is something, according to John Lee Hancock, who also wrote the script that has been in the works for the last 20 years or so since the 90s. And he's been wanting to make this for a very, very long time. And watching this trailer, it reminds me a lot. It's basically kind of a hybrid of Seven with its mystery thriller and the neo-noir aspect of Los Angeles with L.A. Confidential. So I think that kind of hybrid, two great films mixing on this film, it looks very, very interesting. And to give kind of a synopsis of what this film is going to be about, it's about the clash between a Kern County deputy who is played by Denzel Washington and a Los Angeles. Angeles detective who's Malik and uh, it's about them investigating this murder that happens and it seems like their prime suspect is the character that is played by Jared Leto who as always in the films that he does is just looks creepy and it seems like he might have lost some weight for this and really went the physical length of fitting into this character and it seems like Denzel Washington and Rami Malek are kind of the the Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman's of this aspect where they have to solve this case. So I think overall this trailer worked for me. It hooked me and I'm a fan and sucker for these kinds of mystery films of figuring out who the killer is. The one thing that I will say, and this is something that I always attribute to Warner Brothers films. It seems like they always do this with all of their movies over the years. And I guess they really haven't learned their lesson is the, the last 20 seconds of the trailer for anybody watching, I would say to cut away from because I feel like unless they're trying to divert attention and make you guess that it could be this certain character, might have given away the twist that could potentially happen in this film. So if you're looking at this trailer, I wouldn't watch the last 20 seconds because Warner Brothers likes to give the whole movie away sometimes and I fear that that's what they could have just done in the the last 20 seconds of this trailer and they've done it throughout the last few years and when other studios I feel like they cut up trailers and when other companies that studios hire to do these trailers and editors do it I don't blame the editors per se but I I blame the, the directors and the people and the producers that okay these and say well wait we can't put this in the trailer because this could potentially spoil something that we want audiences to see in the movie so if producers and directors if people who are behind this project don't pick up on that before releasing this stuff then you're going to spoil it for everybody and sometimes studios can do a smart job of diverting attention in a way or making it seem like they're spoiling something and then turning it on its head a little bit and it wasn't that entirely and that could very well be what happens with what I saw in the last 20 seconds of this trailer or again when I because I attest this to Warner Brothers it could just be them giving more of the movie than I want them to specifically so I think other than those last 20 20 seconds or so which I again I think you should cut away from the rest of the trailer hooked me it set up the the the, the the thriller, the camaraderie, and the tension between these two detectives, and potentially setting up that Jared Leto could be this killer, and the cat and mouse game that they play with him. So 
other than those last 20 seconds, I'm intrigued by this film. I'm still going to watch it, and I hope I'm wrong with potentially Warner Brothers spoiling the twist that comes along with it. So, But yeah, I definitely recommend checking this film out. I would check out, again, the first half of this trailer and then cut away from it. It's coming out in theaters and on HBO Max on January 29th. And again, I think for a film like this, going to this HBO Max theater hybrid, A, it makes sense because right now we're in the middle of a pandemic still and people are still aren't going to go to theaters. And I think this is the, the perfect kind of movie to still bring out of the theaters, but also if HBO Max and does and Warner Media decide to do this past 2021, films such as The Little Things or The Many Saints in Newark make sense for putting them in a hybrid because this is a mid-level budgeted film that may or may not do well at the box office. And given Warner Brothers' track record pre-pandemic, looking at The Way Back or A Richard Jewell or Mother Brook or Motherless Brooklyn, they did not do well at the box office. As good as some of them were, they didn't do well. So I think if Warner Brothers wants to avert that, th- these are the kinds of movies that would do very, very, very well with this mixture of a hybrid or just moving to HBO Max entirely. So I definitely think that The Little Things is a positive example of what could happen post-pandemic if WarnerMedia decided to go about doing this with a uh, either moving all these films just to HBO Max or doing the theater hybrid with these mid-level budget films like that because I think it'll help the studios, it'll help the theaters. Again, I'm not talking about the major budget movies. I'm just talking about these mid-level budget films that look exciting, enticing, and something new and original that creators are trying to do, but Warner Brothers might not want to greenlight them due to the fact that if they just put them out in theaters, again, given the track record for Warner Brothers at this moment in time with these level style level of films, they do not do well at the box office, unfortunately. Again, even though some of them are very, very good, they just don't perform financially. So this could be an example, hopefully, of the little things succeeding and doing well with this hybrid, and especially if people do check it out on HBO Max if they don't want to go to the theater or theaters are closed. And if if this movie turns out to be good, then hopefully HBO Max and Warner Media can see a good return on a film like this. So what do you guys think about the trailer for The Little Things? Let me know what you think. And the last trending trailer that came out today is the biggest one of them all, and that is the highly anticipated upcoming comedy sequel, Coming to America. It is the sequel to the hit 1988 film starring Eddie Murphy and James Earl Jones, and they see them reprising their roles of the last film. And this is set after the events of the first film in which Prince Akeem, played by Eddie Murphy, is set to become king of Zumata when he discovers that he has a son he never knew about in America, a street-savvy Queens native named Lavelle, honoring his royal father, James Earl Jones, dying wish to groom his son as a grown as a crown prince Akeem and Sami once again played by Arzino Hall set off to America once again and this has a stacked lineup that includes Jermaine Fowler Kiki Lane is in this film Leslie Jones John Amos Tracy Morgan and Wesley Snipes and is directed by Craig Brewer who was the director on last year's hit Netflix film Dolomite is my name in which that was kind of Eddie Murphy's 
second leg or really kind of or second comeback if you rather say a resurgence I think is a better word for Eddie Murphy because I don't think he really had any problems he just hasn't made anything over the last five six years or so so I think this is just him coming back and getting ready to work again and Dolomite did that he was on SNL to promote that movie he was getting some serious awards talk even though it didn't really kind of go anywhere especially for the Oscars in terms of above the line properties with Eddie Murphy in the picture itself. It definitely was a big hit. People loved it. It was on a lot of people's top 10 of of 2019. And it seems like that commotion, that chemistry is coming back for this sequel that people have been clamoring for for 32 years now for this movie. And I think just looking at the trailer, it's a teaser trailer, so it doesn't really give a whole lot away, but it sets the tone once again of what people loved in the first film. You go to the last the last minute of the of the trailer, it's in that barber shop where it has so many great iconic lines. It has Eddie Murphy and the one and only Arzino Hall all in, in makeup, kind of playing these different characters that was so iconic in the first film. And it seems like they just bring it back with this one. And I think especially because this film was was filmed and shot pre-pandemic to get that sense of New York once again, of just the livelihood of what New York can be when none of this is really kind of going on is going to be great as well. And people might have a better appreciation towards it. I think this is going to be fun. It's going to be something that is going to be a huge hit for Amazon, which is why they spend it a boatload of money to get it from Paramount, which really during this entire pandemic has been looking to not put out any films, but to kind of wheel and deal with a lot of these streamers to get money out of it so they don't have to worry about the financial obligations that come with it. They put that all on the streamers and, it, and it's worked for, for a few of them. You're seeing Trial of the Chicago 7 was a success. Borat was signed to be a success for Amazon and I think Amazon is hoping to continue that success with coming to America. So I think this is going to be one that people are going to be interested in. Um, I'm excited to see what Craig Brewer can do taking over the rain, late, excuse me, reins from the late great John Landis and what can happen with this movie, which is set to come out on March 5th. I don't think this is going to be a Academy Award favorite. This is just going to be a fun film to get people excited. It's coming at the same date as Raya and the Last Dragon, which is going to be put in a hybrid format of Disney Plus, Premier Access, and in theaters. So that could be one of another big weekends that happen in the first quarter of 2021. But for Coming to America 2, what did you guys think about the trailer? What did you guys think about all these three trailers? Which one was your favorite? Which one are you most excited about? The Land, which is directed by Robin Wright and starring her as well. The Little Things with Denzel or Coming to America, the sequel in which Eddie Murphy comes back to the role of Akeem and everyone's favorite prince now turned king. Which one is your favorite? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. I'd love to know what you guys think about it. And now, the one of the last things that I want to mop up on on today's edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast is going into the DC Universe to round things off. And the first thing that I want to talk about is the future of the Wonder Woman franchise. And obviously, 
on Friday, Christmas Day, Wonder Woman 1984 will be both in theaters and on HBO Max for people to see if they don't have a theater to go to or if they don't feel comfortable enough to go out to experience this on the big screen. And obviously, the last few weeks, Patty Jenkins, Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, the entire cast have started to do press tours and press junkets in anticipation of this movie, answering a whole boatload of questions about the making of this film, putting it out in time, the times that we're living in right now, what it meant to kind of keep this film out there. And of course, the major news that happened earlier this month with the whole Warner Brothers HBO Max hybrid that was surprising for everybody that heard the announcement when it came out at the 11th hour. And of course, the reports came out that Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot were given the proper warning ahead of time and were given the proper compensation. The fact that Wonder Woman 1984 would lose a lot of money, not just being in theaters due to the pandemic and due to being both a hybrid format, given that people are probably going to be spending a majority of their time at home watching this instead of seeing it on the big screen. So they were compensated for their troubles, but not everybody else was. And throughout all these press junkets, Patty Jenkins has been asked a bunch of questions about this. And she has always kind of put her foot down and saying, because of the extenuating circumstances, it just made a lot of sense. But she has always come back to the fact that she stands with people like Christopher Nolan and Denny Villeneuve, who have been completely against this from the minute that it was announced, in which she thinks that if this wasn't in these ugly times that we're in right now, and they just announced this right away, she wouldn't be for it whatsoever, as she's somebody who is a lover of the cinema. And so now that Wonder Woman 1984 is out now, Patty Jenkins has a lot of stuff to do before she even gets to a third film. She's obviously directing a Cleopatra film down the line, but her next film is going into another major franchise, specifically in a galaxy far, far away, directing the next theatrical feature in the Star Wars franchise in Star Wars Rogue Squadron. So she has her hands fill in the next few years, and I think people are wondering as they always do with these major franchises when journalists ask questions, is what happens with the next sequel? Especially if you're a director and you've done so well in these first two movies and you've really kind of brought this franchise to the forefront and people see you as the reason for why this franchise is a success that it is, you wonder to yourself, well, when's the next one coming out? And Patty Jenkins may have just left the door open for some questions coming in the near future of if she will come back or not. And this is what she had to say. We'll see what happens. I really don't know. I know that I love to do the third one if the circumstances were right, and there was still a theatrical model possible. I don't know that I would if there wasn't. So again, it all comes back to that theatrical model. And because of the times that we're in, Patty Jenkins is okay with what this is right now. But again, she is a proponent, a perpetuant for the theatrical experience. It's always the theater first, the big screen experience first. And I think like her and a lot of other people, this decision by Warner Brothers, which again, as in a business sense, it's smart, but the execution of it was not done the best way, especially when you have, these aren't just indie directors, mid, mid, 
mid-level directors. These are A-list directors, people that are artistic people that bring in the studio's boatloads of money and you neglected to tell them until an hour, half an hour before the announcement was made by the studio, by the company, and by all the trades as well. So you told them the same time that you would tell the press, that's not how you treat your employees like that, especially if their employees are bringing in the cash for you as a studio and as a company on one side. So I think for Patty Jenkins, she sees that this is affecting a lot of people and she's one of the people that are being affected right now, even though Warner Brothers did the smart decision at the time of telling Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot of the, the decision of what they were doing. But again, it's more about the trust factor and the issue that, well, if I make a film for Warner Brothers again, how do I know that they're not going to pull this on anyone again? And even after the fact, after the pandemic, and this is what I was saying about the little things, the mid-level budget films that make sense, and for Wonder Woman 1984, for Tom and Jerry, for The Many Saints of Newark, it makes sense in the first quarter of 2021, even the second quarter maybe, of putting these films out in both HBO Max and in the theaters because you don't know when the theaters are going to be ready to go. And you and Warner Media can attribute to the fact that all of 2021, we don't know where things are gonna end up, but it seems like according to the scientists, to the experts, the middle of the summer into the fall, things should be starting to get back to normal. Theaters should be getting back to opening up again and people should be feeling comfortable of going back out and reintegrating themselves into society and not having to worry about this pandemic anymore. So when you have films like Suicide Squad, Dune, where those films should be feasible enough to put in theaters and not have to worry about people not going to the theaters at those points, then what is the point of putting HBO Max and in theaters with these big level budgeted movies? And if you're going to do that for 2022 and in the future for stars like Matt Reeves or Patty Jenkins, why am I doing this when I could go to another studio and I won't have to worry about that? Specifically for... For Patty Jenkins, she's after Wonder Woman 1984, when all the press is said and done, she's going to go off and do a movie with Disney. And from what we've seen with Disney do with a lot of their big properties, even though they're putting Disney Pixar and Soul on Disney Plus, it makes sense. And Ryan the Last Dragon on a premiere access like they did with Mulan. Again, still in the middle of a pandemic, it makes sense. But Black Widow, their Marvel films, even stuff that's coming out later in the summer, like Luca and Disney Pixar, they have not announced that yet, or Jungle Cruise for going on Disney Plus or doing a premiere access format. They're still just exclusively going to theaters. So if you're Patty Jenkins and you're about to go work for this other company and you don't have to have the fear of thinking about, well, how does this implicate myself if it does go on on a streaming format, how does that implicate me financially and not knowing about it? How was I not told about this? You don't have to worry about that with Disney because they, you know that you can trust them and that there will be dialogue with, with one another. And that's the same thing that goes with the studio like Universal. Even though they have pulled multiple things over the last few months, especially with the POVOD window of shrinking the theatrical window down to 17 days with AMC and having it a little bit more flexible with Cinemark, it's it's the dialogue. That's what it is. And if, if artists can't trust the studio that they're working with on a deal that they made initially, 
then why would you go work with that studio again? And I think that's the precarious situation that Warner Brothers is in. And if they lose potentially Patty Jenkins, and again, I don't know if they will or not, maybe Patty Jenkins could decide, you know what, I do want to come back to Wonder Woman, then that's great. But you got to be worried that you could lose the golden goose with Wonder Woman. Because yeah, you might have Gal Gadot back, but we realize that Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot are a great dynamic duo together, and they are what drive the Wonder Woman franchise. And specifically, Patty Jenkins is the one that really drives that engine. So why would you not give her what she wants? And again, this could also be the fact that I think a lot of directors experience this. It's with these big blockbuster fatigues. And I think for Patty Jenkins, she has said that she has Wonder Woman 1984 was shot in full in 2018, edited in 2019, and was basically locked in at the beginning of the year, even before the pandemic hit. So she's been sitting on this movie for years. She's been with the Wonder Woman franchise really since... 2015, 2016. So she's been with this franchise because she went from one film directly into the other. So I think for her, she's just maybe a little burned out by this franchise right now. And I have no doubt that she has ideas moving forward with this franchise, but she might want a little bit of a breather and take on different material, whether it's an indie or a ma- another major blockbuster like Star Wars, where she has said also that not just the fact that she work, she's going to work in Star Wars, but she's going to tackle on more of a passion project in the sense of taking on like an aviation film, something in the vein of like a Top Gun, basically. So I think for her, it's the fact that I get to do other things right now. And then once I'm done, I'll have a little bit of a breather. I'll have more ideas for Wonder Woman 3. I'll come back and I'll work with Gal again in finishing out this trilogy. So that could be what it is as well. But I think really it's going to be a mixture of both of those together. And I think also it's the fact that Patty Jenkins might just be a little frustrated with Warner Brothers at the moment because she also said in a New York Times article, which also talked about everything with the the theatrical model, is that she was arguing with Warner Brothers on the release date in the sense that Warner Brothers were the ones that wanted a December 2019 release date, but Patty Jenkins wanted to go to the summer because that's where the film was more accessible and they had a lot of financial success and cultural success in putting it out in the summertime of 2017 with the first movie. And so I think the fact that Patty Jenkins is maybe just a little tired of dealing with Warner Brothers and wants to deal with another company and she sees how creators for the most part work at Disney, especially in those major franchises, and she might just want to work there and just deal with different people right now. So it, it, it might just be a change of venue, both for for franchises, for projects, for people, for studios. It might just be a, she just wants to change the scenery at the moment. And I have no doubt that she is going to want to come back and do another Wonder Woman film. I think she will come back and do one. I just think she's a little tired at the moment. And, and she has other things that are in motion. She's thinking about other things. It's not just Wonder Woman. Because again, like I said before, Wonder Woman has really been her whole life for four to five years between the first one and then just really going into the second one as she had ideas formulating working on that first film. So it just went right one into the other one. So she just might need a little bit of a break from it. Change of scenery. And artists have that. <laughs> That, those are humans. Humans do that. Artists are like that, where you're just burned out. And I think for Patty Jenkins, she's not burned out in the sense that I don't want to direct anything. I don't want to do anything. I'm done. She just needs a creative break from something that she
that she has been working on with the same characters for four to five, maybe even six years. And so it makes a lot of sense for me that Patty Jenkins would have that kind of response right now. And again, I have no doubt that she will come back for a third film. It's just a matter of having a break. And that's understandable. And artists have those responses. And I think Patty Jenkins will be fine. And we're going to get great films for her from her in the next few years. And she's going to do great stuff with Rogue Squadron. She's going to do great stuff, I think, with Cleopatra. Now that she's on board with Gal, I think we're going to see some great things coming for the, the great director, the cultural icon that Patty Jenkins has become over the last few years. So what do you guys think about Patty Jenkins potentially saying no to Wonder Woman 3? Do you think that will happen? Do you think she just needs a, a, a creative break from working on the same franchise for the last few years? Or do you think that she will permanently remove herself from the Wonder Woman franchise in the next few years? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast is staying within the DCU, but talking about something a little bit more serious, and that is on the subject of Josh Whedon and everything that has kind of engulfed Justice League in the last few months, really, ever since the summertime when cyborg actor Ray Fisher came out and said that there were a lot of shady stuff going on behind the scenes in the reshoots of Justice League in which Josh Whedon, you had Jeff Johns, Jeff Berg, a lot of people not treating people apparently well on set of that movie. And a lot of people were wondering, well, what is the behind the scenes story? What's What happened? Because we haven't really heard anything from Josh Whedon. He was let go on a project he was working on by HBO. So it's the same company that he worked with. And you haven't heard anything. You've, well, you've heard stuff from the actors, specifically Jason Momoa has come out and said something in support of Ray Fisher. You just had Gal Gadot a few days ago with the press junket for Wonder Woman 1984 saying that she had her own situation she was dealing with with Josh Whedon, which was handled in the way that she saw that it was fit. So it seemed like there were things going on behind the scenes. And a lot of people were wondering, well, what did Josh Whedon do that warranted this happening? And it seems like it's multiple people that experienced this. And it's not just on Justice League. It's been happening for many, many years, apparently since his days on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And we haven't heard anything about the, the, the Avengers, anything happening with them. We haven't heard any complaints ever from the, the 2012 film. But it seems like things started spiraling out of control with the the second Avengers film, Age of Ultron. And that's where Ray Fisher, in it, being in an interview, talks about Justice League and Age of Ultron being an inception point for a very disgruntled Josh Whedon. This is what he had to say on the matter. One of the things that I will say so far is our experience in the creation of this, Josh brought a lot of his personal and professional, for lack of a better term, resentment into the Justice League process. One of the things that he said in our first conversation was that people didn't quote unquote get Age of Ultron. And there were certain things being said in that conversation where I was like, oh, this is less about the work being presented and more sort of like of an ego stroke to say. Well, look, if you like it in this movie, you should have liked it in that one. Ha ha, jokes on you. And that's just creatively, that has nothing to do with any of the real egregious stuff that's just on a creative level. It shows, you know? So again, this seems like it's just scratching the surface on some of the things that Josh Whedon was bringing 
to this movie. And to me, it's a little bit shocking. And if this is just scratching the surface, and I can't even imagine what the hell happened on set. And since Warner Media just completed its investigation, I believe last week it reported, we might hear some stuff in the next few months of really what went on if Warner Media decides to release it all and take certain actions. But man, it, it seems like I, I really don't know what to say about this because. For me, I'm completely I've completely went on over to the side of Ray Fisher and what's going on here because I really do believe he wouldn't be doing this if something really bad happened. And Gal Gadot has even said it now. She's come out. It's not like she's coming out just in support of Ray Fisher, which I'm she has said that she supports what he's been doing and for the people coming out. But the fact that she said that she had her own experience and it seems like Momoa might have had his own experience, it, it's just it's too much at this point. And I think for Josh Whedon if it really was one of the the things that he came in with was resentment about Age of Ultron, dude, you have to keep in mind that when Josh Whedon came on, it wasn't like he came on in 2016. He came on at the beginning of 2017 when the tragedy struck Zack Snyder and his family and he had to leave the set. And then Warner Brothers took that unfortunate tragedy and awfully took it to their own benefit of what they always wanted to do since BVS and get Zack Snyder out and bring in their own people of changing the franchise to what they wanted it to be in response to things that they were hearing about the DCU being too dark and too serious and not on the same level as Marvel. And that's why you bring in Josh Whedon, which when the reports were coming out, it makes obvious sense. This guy has experience on a big budget of film like this, especially in 2012. He delivered way, way better than people I think were really expecting with the first Avengers film. And even in the second Avengers film, even though it wasn't on the same level as that first one, it still was a fun, enjoyable ride, especially for a summer popcorn flick. It did its job. And so you bring in someone like Josh Whedon to do Justice League. He's got the experience on these big team-up films to bring it. He has, he knows the, the expectations, the pressure. So it would make sense. And also at the time, it seemed like it was, it was a twofer where it's a you do one for me I do one for you in the sense that there were reports coming out that Josh Whedon was in talks to do a back a Batwoman or a Batgirl film one of those two I think it was a Batgirl film and we all know the strong female characters that Josh Whedon has put on on projects especially with something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer so it would make sense that Josh Whedon would want to do that. So if he were to complete Justice League, then DC Warner Brothers would give him Batgirl. So that made sense at the time when you heard the first reports. But now hearing this and the fact that he came on board in 2017, Age of Ultron came out years prior to that, dude. And you still had resentment for people that might not have gotten Age of Ultron? Like at that point, you need to grow up a little bit. You need to grow up and and just move on. And honestly, I think Endgame and, and Infinity War have given people a little bit more of appreciation for what Age of Ultron accomplished than what people saw at the time, where it was more setting things up and and helping things move on to the future, where I'm sure Josh Whedon had to implement more things that needed to be set up for Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. But it's not like... Marcus and McFeely 
steered away from Age of Ultron. They included name drops of Ultron and suit of armor around the world. They they kept the ties going with that movie. So it's not like they completely ignored it. I think people got what they wanted with Age of Ultron, and it seemed like we didn't want it to make it about artificial intelligence and depending too much on technology and the fact that maybe Tony Stark is the Frankenstein of all this and, and, and what he's trying to do. I think people got it, and I think they it helped bring into perspective on the project with films like Infinity War and Endgame. And I just think for Josh Whedon, again, you as a director, as a filmmaker, as anybody in Hollywood, you always have egos. And for some people, the egos take over too much and it leads to a downfall. And sometimes you have your egos checked in place and you're able to kind of find a balance of having collaboration, but also making sure that your vision's intact. But for somebody like Josh Whedon, it seemed like his ego was just inflated, inflated a ton. And and it seemed like he disrespected the cast and the crew. And maybe it was the resentment. And it was maybe this movie became more of a revenge flick for Josh Whedon of getting back at the critics for their response to Age of Ultron, which doesn't make sense because, dude, Prior to that, people consider Avengers Endgame to be one of the great comic book movies of all time. So it's not like you went 0 for 2. You went 1 for 2, if anything. Some people might think you went 2 for 2 with Avengers and Age of Ultron. So to to kind of put it all on a film that was already being made to people that were already on board, that were looking to just kind of pick up the mantle and continue what Zack did, it's... You know, if this is just the tip of the iceberg, then it's going to get bad for Josh Whedon if this is the start of it, because this makes him seem like he's just a flat out baby, just a a baby who couldn't take the criticism after getting all the love and and adoration that he could on the Avengers. He just it, it just got to him. So I think in the fact that he was when he was let go or he stepped down, quote unquote, stepped down from the HBO Max show he was working on suggests to me that I don't think we're going to see Josh Whedon for a long, long time because I didn't even know he was working on a project until he stepped down. I thought I never heard anything about the guy ever again. He wasn't working on any other studio. So I think this is an inside thing that is going to be blown open. I don't know if, if trades are going to get there before the investigation and story is complete or if it's going to be Warner Media, but this thing's going to get out fast and I'm really interested to see what the response is going to be. So, we'll see what happens. We'll see where this goes from here. But again, not a great look for Josh Whedon as this whole thing really hasn't been a great look for him to begin with. So, we'll see where this goes and we'll see where we can go from here with this. So, what do you guys think about this news about Josh Whedon and his beginnings with Justice League and a resentment for Age of Ultron? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. But guys, with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro? 
the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also along the way, make sure to check out these other awesome shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me at Basel Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, keep on screening.